Today's message is a question. Why do we need to put on the whole armor of God? Now this message today is not about the armor of God. It's about why do we need to put on the whole armor of God? Well, it tells us in Ephesians that ye, each and every one of us, may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. There is a devil. There is a Satan. There is a Lucifer. There is. For or because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We have an enemy. I have a phone. Most everybody has a phone nowadays that will get updates on news articles. They just keep coming every day, these news articles. <clears throat> so we are well aware of the darkness that is in this world. Very few good news stories will pop up. It's always something dark. A former prime minister of Japan being shot, assassinated. They haven't had an assassination of a political figure in Japan since like the 1930s. They have the strictest gun laws of probably anybody in the world, but yet he was shot. <clears throat> we just had teenagers in a city kill an elderly man with a traffic cone. They beat him with it so bad that he died later at the hospital from his injuries. And it was about six or seven teenagers that all ganged up on this guy and beat him. <clears throat> I tell people, you take away guns, they'll kill you with knives. You take away knives, they'll kill you with a baseball bat. You take away a baseball bat, I got a new item to put on my list. Who would have ever thought a traffic cone? People can look up online how to build a bomb that could kill hundreds at one time. We have a serious issue with people wanting to kill and maim and then take their own lives. They have no regard for life whatsoever. We live in a world of darkness. And we are instructed that we are to put on the whole armor and at the end of that list of all the things to put on, the minds of the people, we're told to put on that helmet of salvation, that helmet to protect our brain, protect our mind. We need that desperately. <clears throat> and it talks about taking the sword, which is the Word of God. It's a double-edged sword. Any... Anytime you see two in the Bible, as you go through the Scriptures, two 
is division. There's two nations warring inside of the womb. Two nations that are going to be divided against each other. All kinds of examples of two that is division. That double-edged sword, two-edged sword, it divides things. It, it can even divide the spirit from the soul, the marrow from the bones. It can do things that a surgeon cannot do when he opens you up. He cannot find your soul or your spirit. But the Word of God, the double-edged sword, can do that. And it will divide the people who believe and the people who do not. The one will go to that glorious hope of heaven. The other ones will perish in a place called hell. Now, I have got all kinds of examples of darkness and the places in the Bible that talk about fallen angels, that talk about Satan himself. He is a very formidable foe. He is somebody that we have to watch out for. Just ask Job. We open up Job and we start reading and and it kind of blows your mind because it says the sons of God came to check in with God. The sons of God. And Satan shows up as well. And God takes notice that Satan has walked up there. And he asks Satan where he, what, he, what he's been doing lately. And Satan tells him. And God said, have you considered my servant Job? I sure hope that he has not said anything about me. I hope that he's kind of forgotten about anything I've done that was good. After reading that story about Job. And God allows Satan to go do what he needs to do to prove that Job would never curse God. He would never fall away. That he would be with him no matter what bad thing happened to him. God gave Satan permission to make his life absolutely miserable. Satan killed all of his children. Killed all of what he had and even allowed Job's wife to live. And I say that because she was a sore in his side. She drug him down, and Satan saw it and left her alive because he knew that would make his life even more miserable. She said, just curse God and die. And he said, no, I will not. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, And you hath he quickened, or made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, 
among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. See, that's what we used to be. If you are a true born-again child of God, you used to be all about the prince of the power of this air, the prince of darkness. In John 16, Jesus talks about a prince that is our enemy. That's in John uh, 16, verses uh, 7 through 11. I want you to think about Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14 is the only place that you will see Lucifer, and it's the only the only Bible that you'll see it in is the King James. All the other Bibles have changed it. All other versions have changed it. When you open up that story in Isaiah 14, it is going to be, take a proverb or a saying, I, I want, this is God tell, telling Isaiah, I need you to go to the king of Babylon and say this to him. And as you read down through that story, you're going to see where he's obviously not talking about the king of Babylon. Now, he may have been looking right at the king of Babylon, but he says some things. All right, I'm going to turn there. I, I didn't plan on turning there. I just wanted to use that story as an example. So if you have turned there, that is fine. So by the time you get over... 2, 12, verse 12, it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. Now, did the, did the king of Babylon ever say that? Did the king of Babylon ever fall from heaven? Um, I, and then he, this, this person, this king of Babylon, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Really? I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. See, most of you who have sat in church from when you were little, you were taught this that this was why Satan and a third of the angels were cast out of heaven. Well, you can get online and you can listen to people who will try to answer the question, is the fall of Satan in the Bible? You can type that in and you'll get some people will pop up that are very scholarly. They've been to Bible colleges and seminaries and all that stuff. And they will downplay this and say, this is really not talking about Satan. You will hear that if you look this up. Satan did something, well, Lucifer, when he was that anointed cherub that covereth. So you might as well turn to Ezekiel. Again, I wasn't going to actually turn to these places, so I don't have a mark. But turn over to Ezekiel, chapter 28. 
Ezekiel 28, I'm almost there. This is talking to the king of Tyrus and the prince of Tyrus. So it was a person that Ezekiel was told to go to, and he starts to talk. He, he probably is standing there looking at the king of Tyrus, and he's talking to him. But as he's talking to him, now the king of Tyrus, he was, was famous for the shipping industry, and yes, he did trafficking, and he did merchandising, and he was corrupt in it. So it would pertain to him as well, but when you get over to uh, 12, Son of man, this is God talking to Ezekiel, telling him what to do, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, the topaz, and the diamond, and the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold, the workmanship of thy tambrets, and of thy pipes, was prepared in thee in that day thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. I And I have set thee so, thou wast upon the holy mountain of God, and thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. So we take these two places in the Word of God and we put those together and that's what we learned about Satan falling. But again, that will be downplayed. If you look at certain scholars, they will tell you, oh no, no, this is to the king of Tyrus. Remember just a few weeks ago and we were talking about Peter and it's, it's been the theme here lately. Who do ye say that the Son of Man is? Each and every one of you are being asked that. Who do ye say? Because he asked, who do, who do people say that I am? And they listed this list of great people. Now, is Jesus just a good man that walked this earth, a good teacher? Or was he the Son of the living God? Was he... God in the flesh. And Peter, he gave the right answer. But you, but you don't go far at all past that. You keep reading past that, and Jesus is telling them how he must go to Jerusalem, how he must be turned over to the authorities, and how he must die. And Peter's going, oh no, 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 that's not going to happen. And what does Jesus say to him? Get thee behind me, Satan. Looking right at Peter. Was that Satan? Was, no, it was Peter. But he talked to Satan through Peter. Because, because if what Peter said was exactly what Satan would want to do, uh, not let him go to the cross and be that perfect sacrifice. Just, just like back here. He's talking to the king of Babylon, but he's talking to Satan. He's talking to the king of Tyrus, but he's really talking to Satan. 
all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Joseph loves those verses. It's like his favorite verse. 14. God is talking to a serpent, but he's talking to Satan. Satan used something to get his mission accomplished. Because Satan was a fallen spirit. You know, in Ezekiel right here, when it says that he was in the garden of God, and it talked about all these stones that were on him, that wasn't when he was there hiding inside of a serpent. It was sometime way before. When before he fell, he was in a place called Eden, which was a garden of God. Now, if you go back and listen to the creation series that I did at the beginning of this year, that'll make a lot of sense to you. That will make a whole lot of sense to you. That's just a little side note. Now, why are we in a world full of darkness? When we open up our Bibles at the very beginning of, our, of the Word of God, the earth is completely flooded. Darkness was upon it. It was no shape. It was void. It was in total chaos. Nothing good about it. And then God set out to start fixing all those things that were bad. What caused it to get like that, we don't really know for sure. But for some reason, it was in a really bad state. Now, when we fall, when we sin, we fall out of the grace of God, and we're in that condition. Nothing, we can do nothing good for ourselves. We're in that state of what some people might say, total depravity. But God shows up and says, let there be light. God shows up. And the very first thing he says is, let there be light. And John, it's, it's hard. I, I got one verse that I wrote down here for John. I think I wrote it down here. It's got to be here somewhere. Oh, yeah, here it is. It's, it's, it, I had to put it in in between a bunch of other notes. And John, chapter 1, verse 5 says, And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now, I have a really tough time just taking one verse out of John chapter 1. I want to read the whole chapter. Every time I get into John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and all that. I mean, and He came into this, into this world as light. And it says that He giveth a little bit of light to everybody that comes into the world. You know, light showed up before the sun and the moon were put in their places. you got to get over to verse 16 of Genesis. So, in the, the very first chapter of the Bible, you see something about the sun being set in place. And it says, And God made two great lights. Two. Remember what I said about the number two. The greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Short and sweet, right? He made the stars also. What, what is the greater light? And why did Moses, when he wrote this, he, why would he say that was the greater light? Did he mean that it was bigger? 
Now, just by natural observation, you wouldn't come up with that because the sun looks like it's smaller than the moon, especially the harvest moon when it first comes up over the mountain over here. Oh, what a beautiful sight. It is huge, but it's the lesser light. Now, it doesn't say sun or moon, but we know what he's talking about. He made two great lights, the greater light. Now, it's greater because it, it, even though it's so far away, it's huge. And now we know it's not even the greatest as far as the biggest star. There's stars out in our universe that are way bigger than the sun, where you could put thousands and thousands of suns inside of that other star that's way out there. And they got names. But think about the universe. Think about this greater light. And what does this greater light signify? What is it a type of? I want to, I'll say that the greater light is a type of Jesus Christ. I would say that the lesser light would be a type of the church. What do we do? We just reflect the light of Jesus. We are in a nighttime. We're living in darkness, night, darkness. The day is separated from the night, separated. In the light, things are good. In the darkness, things are bad. We see that throughout Scripture. And he made the stars also. What does that represent? I think maybe it represents individual believers. Why do I think that? And, and he doesn't say much about it. He just says, and he made the, he made the stars also. Like five words. Because we're very insignificant. Not a whole lot needs to be said about us. And in Philippians, I do have that one marked. Philippians chapter 2, you can just write this down. We're not going to be there very long at all. Philippians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Listen to what it says. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the Philippian church. And he says that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So Paul is saying that each and every one of those believers who have believed on Jesus Christ, even though they live in a very dark and hurting world, that these believers, these individual believers, he made the stars also, you look up in the sky and it's these little teeny tiny lights, but you are compared to that because you in this dark world can really stand out and be bright but you are referred to by Paul right here as lights in the world. And why, do you, why are you a light? Because you have the word of life. You know the answers that you can give to those who are hurting. <clears throat> so, if that greater light is a type and picture of Jesus, He has gone away 
the devil has regained control over the world. He's, he's the, the prince of darkness. So that's why the world is in so much darkness. That's why there's so much evil that we see. Jesus has gone away. We don't see him, but we're reflecting as a church. We're re- reflecting his light like the moon does. Now, have we been promised that the sun is going to rise? Have we been promised that he's coming again? We got that promise? Have we been, have we been wondering and worrying, where is he at? When is he coming? You now, Adrian Rogers has this little story of this little boy who got old enough to understand the solar system, and he was watching, and he saw the sun, and, and the sun went down and disappeared. And he was, where did it go? Where did it go? And he stayed up all night long worrying about, where did the sun go? It finally dawned on him. You're supposed to laugh now. It finally dawned on him. <sighs> all right. Malachi. Turn, you, you want to see this, and, and I, got a, I got my parallel Bible right here. I, I remember I told you all about this a long, long time ago. This is an NIV, KJV parallel Bible. Malachi 4. Malachi chapter 4, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read, I'm going to read the King James side first. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Now, that means they'll have no past, they'll have no future. Then, this is, this is awesome. Listen, verse 2 but unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in His wings. Now, in the NIV, it says, But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise. Now, it's, the difference is that in the King James, it says, Son, and it's capital S. Son of Righteousness. And then it says, Arise with healing in His wings. But over here in the NIV it says, Little s, the Son of Righteousness, will arise with healing in its wings. You see the difference. That's a huge difference. It's spelled S-U-N, but it's a big capital S there. It's talking about Jesus. The very first chapter of our Bible, the greater light, that's Jesus. The very last chapter in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the Son, we're promised that the Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in His. Now, over the past few weeks, I've done this many times. I've pointed out where, why I think 
The King James Bible is the Word of God. It's the preserved Word of God. I've got many people out there that don't agree with me. All I do, and, and please don't go out and tell people and brag about this, whatever. Don't, don't make an issue of it. Just show them as you read it. Just show people. Just like this right here. I just showed you where there is a major difference in almost every new translation, because I looked in other new, new versions, and it's the same way. They have taken away. In all new versions, Lucifer's not there. In some places, like in the NIV, it actually says, instead of Lucifer, it calls him the bright and morning star, which is a name for Jesus in Revelation 22. Satan wants honor. Remember, he wanted to go up and be like the Most High. He wants you to worship Him some way. And if you call Him the bright morning star, you've given Him a name that only belongs to Jesus. Pay attention to what you're reading. Now, Lucifer being taken out, when people say, no, he's talking about the king of Babylon, he's talking about Tyrus, the king of Tyrus, when they say that, they're taking all the bad things that Satan did and saying, no, it's not talking about what Satan did. If Satan had a way to rearrange what's said in the Bible about him, he is embarrassed by what he did. He did some horrible things, and we all need to know about it, and it's written in the book. But yet there's people out there that are twisting it and turning it to where, no, this is not really talking about Satan. And that's exactly what Satan wants. And we just fall right into the trap. Now we're looking forward to that day. Now there's scoffers who say, you've been looking for how long? You've been waiting for how long? He said he's coming back. Well, he's not back yet. Just like in the days of Noah. Noah's been building that boat for how long? He says it's going to rain. He says it's going to flood. Huh. There's going to be scoffers. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be evil. There's going to be darkness. I've been reading one psalm a day. Many of you are. Today's the 10th. So we read the, uh, the Proverbs. Proverbs. So I read Proverbs 10 this morning. And I've also been reading Psalms. So I'm trying, trying really hard to read at least average three psalms a day so that in 50 days I'll be through the book of Psalms. And today, being the 10th, I read 30. And in Psalm 30, verses 4 and 5 says, Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of His, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holiness, for his anger endureth but a moment, in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. Now I have uh, a lot of other scripture I would love to read today. It's like every week I get halfway through what I've prepared and I've run out of time. So think about Think about Saul of Tarsus. 
and how he was knocked off his horse by blinding light. Now, when you get over to Acts 26, he has gone to King Agrippa and to Festus, and he's explaining to them what happened to him that day. And he was talking about how he was blinded by something that was brighter than the sun. And that then you're all the way over in Acts 26, and you've got red letters. Because Paul said, so, so his name was changed to Paul, and Paul goes into detail and he actually repeats what Jesus actually said to him that day. And so you're going to see something different than what you saw back in the first part of that story. And he goes into detail about the gospel story. It's beautiful. And I think it was King Agrippa is one of the two that ended up saying, wow, you, you've almost convinced me to be a Christian. And Paul's like, you know what? Not just you, but everybody else that hears this story, I wish that they would almost and all together be like me, except for these chains that are on my feet. He wanted everybody to feel what he felt. He's, he's trying to get to Rome. He's trying to get to Caesar. Um, he, he just wants to go and, and minister and they, they ended up, in private, they said, you know what? He's not done anything wrong to be locked up or to be killed. And if he hadn't appealed to go see the main dude in Rome, we'd let him go. But since he's already done that, he's going to have to go through with this. It was all part of God's plan. And right after that, you see the story of the storm and the boat, and the boat's going to break apart and all that. Beautiful, beautiful stories of hardship and darkness that we go through but don't care because we see what's at the end. The sun of righteousness is coming up. The sun comes up every day. We know it's going to come up every day. And the Lord has told us that Jesus is coming and He's going to show up right on time. I promise you, it'll be right on time. You know, I got, you know, we were talking, and I can't remember what we were in Sunday school, maybe it was, last week, or one time I, I was talking about how, you know, to get more people to come to church, we can put on the sign that uh, we, we'll, we're, oh, we can tell your future. We can, we can, and we won't even charge you for it. Come and hear about your future. We, we can predict it. There's lots of things I can predict. You say, I, you know, we, we got a prophet here, and he can predict What's going to happen? I know, he's, I know Jesus is coming back. I, I'm not one bit ashamed of prophesying that because it's in the book. And I can tell people, I know your future. If you believe on Jesus Christ, I know where you're going to spend eternity. If you don't believe, I know where you're going to spend eternity. There's your future. And you didn't have to pay anything for it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, as we read your word, I pray that it gets into our minds and into our hearts. Father, you have done everything. You've promised to preserve it. And Father, you have 
handed it to us. The Word of God is in our hand. And Father, I pray we'd be a people that would actually put it in our hearts. Father, we can let it lay there, never pay attention to it, look around, try to find it before we come to church, blow the dust off of it. Father, you've done so much. You promised that you would preserve it. You've done so. You've given it to our hand. Father, I pray that we would eat it up and that it would get to our hearts. And Father, I pray that it would help us to walk through this dark world. Father, we are in the nighttime. And Father, I pray that the church, your body, is reflecting the light of that greater light. And Father, as we wait for your promises, that we would take opportunity to realize that we individually are little lights that will brighten up a dark room. Dark, Father, that the light is so needed in this world today. And Father, that each and every one of us have got that light that we can share. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> in Christ's wonderful name, we pray. Amen.